the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, stuff about that's going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. All you have to do is dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as I always remind you, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, we don't have anything going on uh, on our uh, on Tuesday, so I'll get right to questions. Let me recommend to you uh, Jocelyn's Bible study last night uh, in First Timothy chapter two. Um, Timely and Vital Issues. I think she did a wonderful job with it yesterday. So you can do that at calvarysa.com. Here is my first question today. It comes from Sam. And he says, practically speaking, how does someone seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Sam, this really speaks about priorities more than anything else. Um, You know, Jesus, of course, this is the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus was uh, talking to the Jewish leaders who believed that by virtue of having the law, by, by virtue of being a part of, of, of God's chosen people, that they were going to go to heaven. And we, we would say that they were saved. Um, and, and Jesus is telling them, no, your priorities are wrong. It's about your, your money or your, your careers or, uh, in the case of Nicodemus, your, your renown as the Bible teacher uh, in Israel. And Jesus is simply saying, I have to come first. Now, Sam, here's how we say this at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, it's the theme of our church, just to be with Jesus. In other words, uh, you get up in the morning you check in with him. You walk with him throughout the day. If you're going to work, you take him to work. If you're going uh, out somewhere, take Jesus with you. Ask for divine opportunities. But it's really a life that's centered on the person of Jesus Christ, making sure that pleasing him, when the Apostle Paul writes, find out what pleases the Lord, that's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, clearly, because we have no righteousness of our own, his righteousness is important for us to be able to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. So I think um, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness requires active trust. We call that faith. It requires a desire for personal holiness. But I think overall, Sam, the primary factor is simply Jesus, you are the only thing that really matters. Now, I've got a lot of things in my life, Sam, that that matter a great deal to me. But none of them come close to pleasing the Lord. 
I want to be with him. Uh, as much as I love Paul, as much as I love the people here at Calvary Chapel, as much as I love what I do, even even if I'm doing something that's a good thing, if I'm if I'm putting my role as a pastor ahead of Jesus, if I'm putting uh, my children, moms and dads, ahead of the Lord, um, none of that is 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 the correct place to be. What we need to do is it's all Jesus all the time. And then you forgot the last part of that, and all the other things will be added unto you. So, Sam, that's what it is. You trust God to provide all the things that you're looking for by maintaining anything in your life that comes before the Lord Jesus. So, hope that answers your question. That's as practical as it gets. Sam, thank you very, very much for the question. Um, Fred says, is it possible for some Mormons to be genuinely saved? Um, the answer, Fred, yes, it's possible. Now, here's the problem with Mormons. Mormons have the wrong Jesus. Uh, they use the same words, same names. Jesus died for my sins. Uh, Jesus was raised from the dead. All those things. But their Jesus is not God, and only God can forgive sins. And this is really important for us to understand. It's not that we're trying to shut everybody else out. It's simply that only God lived a perfect life in the person of Jesus Christ. Only God died for our sins. Joseph Smith didn't die for our sins. Uh, the Pearl of Great Price or the Book of Mormon didn't die for our sins. It's just Jesus. That's why it's so important that we have the right Jesus. And and genu- generally speaking, uh, whether it's a Jehovah's Witness who also will say the same things, Jesus died for my sins, um, or Mormons, they've got a Jesus who is not the Jesus of the Bible. And by definition, if they believe in a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible, then they're not saved. Now, let me talk out of the other side of my mouth for a moment, Fred, because um, I, I've I've known some Mormons who don't really understand Mormon doctrine. And I'm one of those people that take Jesus at his word. When he says he has a remnant everywhere, there are some Mormons that are saved. I don't know if you've ever listened to Glenn Beck. Um, uh, and typically he's a, a political, conservative political commentator. Uh, but Glenn Beck married a Mormon woman, converted. Um, and over the, I don't know, 25 plus years of their marriage, um, he sounds like he's really sought the Lord. And it doesn't seem to bother him that that he identifies as a Mormon. He did that for his wife. Um, But um, listening to him talk, um, you know, he sounds very born again. He doesn't sound like he's confused by the Mormon doctrine. And I think what he's really dug into is the Bible rather than Mormon doctrine and just isn't discerning enough or doesn't care enough to find out what the Mormon church really and truly believes. And that's not unusual. So uh, it is possible, Fred, for um, some Mormons to be saved, um, but uh, they got to find the right Jesus. And I'm just telling you, in Glenn Beck's case, it sounds to me uh, as though he's found the right Jesus. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Reuben on line one from Seguin. Reuben, it's good to hear from you, dear friend. God bless you, Pastor Ron. It's a beautiful, cold Monday afternoon. Or yeah, Tuesday I don't think, I, I think you're, you're, you've really got it wrong. I don't think beautiful and cold go in the same sentence. <laughs> oh, to me, I don't know. It's just, it's just beautiful. I love the cold weather, but <laughs> praise God. Praise God. Uh, Pastor, I have a question. If you could clarify something up for me. Um, um, okay. What's going on right now in Israel? Now, is Hamas, are they Palestinians? And if so, are they um, pretending to protect the their fellow Palestinians as a ruse to just make Israel look bad um, and to as to what they're doing 
to Hamas, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. You know, one of the things that the, that Hamas does now, Hamas is the duly elected governing agency in Palestine. They are a terrorist organization, uh, as evidenced by the October 7th attack, and that's just the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, they are are committed to the absolute utter destruction of Jews, uh, wiping Israel off the map and, and inhabiting all of uh, the Middle East. Uh, so um, the reality is that um, to further their agenda— and and again, they believe in jihad. They believe this is a holy war, and that justifies lying. It justifies uh, uh, civilian deaths. It justifies abuse and terrorism. Um, and what they're saying, Reuben, is that if I have to sacrifice innocent Palestinian lives, I'm going to do that. That's why they they uh, surround uh, their their weapon sites with. Sorry, I had to cough. They surround their weapon sites, their missile sites, their ammunition dumps, all of that. They surround that uh, with 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 innocent people, and they just figure like, well, if they die, they're going to go uh, to their version of heaven, and if they go to heaven, uh, then it's all worth it. They've been martyred for the faith, and they consider that a noble cause. The reality is, Reuben, they don't care at all about civilian casualties uh, on either side. Uh, the only thing they care about is their holy war, and they are 100% committed to it, no matter the cost. Now, here's the thing that's difficult for me to understand. People in this country, including our media, people in this country have come to the support of these terrorists, and it's almost like, well, now Israel is engaging in a ground war. It's almost like, well, Israel, they have to have a proportionate response. They're, they, they can't injure or 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 murder or kill innocent civilians that's what happens in war and israel reuben didn't start this war israel has no choice but to defend themselves against a people that want them wiped off the face of the earth and so um hamas uh, has only one agenda and that's their holy jihad does that make any sense reuben Yes, perfect sense. And I knew I came to the right person. Thank you, so Ruben. Thank you, sir. My, my blessings to day. you. Thank you. You know, it's a really sad thing, and I mentioned this on the program yesterday, but the, the, um, the rabid uh, anti-Semitism that we're seeing all over the world, um, but, but most tragically in the United States of America, is proof that the devil is powerful, that he's real. Uh, it's proof that he's angry because he knows his time is short. And we're playing right into his hands. So remember, Christians, um, we are pro-Israel. Our Savior was a Jew. And anti-Semitism is demonic, and we need to protect our hearts, and we need to understand what's going on and why. The Apostle Paul calls the devil the little G God of this world, or, or he's also described in the in the Bible as the 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 prince of the air, and and he's got media wrapped in his hands, and uh, he's playing with us, and we're falling right into that trap. So, uh, pray, pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Let's go to Ray on line one from San Antonio. Ray, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a question as far as how you started off with the Mormon kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, somebody had, well, a Mormon <laughs> told me that when they die, a female would go to uh, the planet of, everybody would get their own planet, except yep. if you're a female married to somebody, then you would go to your husband's planet. Now, I don't know how to how to get through that. <laughs> can you can you explain that to me a little bit and I'll get off the phone. Okay, Ray, thanks a lot. You know, this is this is one of the problems with Mormonism. I mean, they they're so far out there and they believe such 
crazy things. They believe that eventually everybody becomes a god. Um, that's Mormon doctrine. And Ray, this is what I meant when I believe most Mormons don't really understand the 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 idiocy of Mormon doctrine. I, I, I don't think they understand it. Those that do believe it, well, they're just deceived. Mormonism doctrinally is demonic. Uh, it is antichrist. And um, um, to, to believe that we somehow get our own planet, to believe that somehow we can become a god, uh, just demonstrates the utter foolishness of, of Mormon doctrine. Um, and and I, I think we need to be very upfront about that um, be, because they use the same words and the same phrases. Um, Jesus Christ is uh, described as their savior. Uh, but, but again, this is what I said earlier. They have to have the right to Jesus, the Jesus who is God, creator God, and not just a created being. Um, you know, they believe Mormons do that Jesus uh, is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Now, Ray, I don't know if you have brothers, but, you know, if you have a family with a good son and a bad son, well, Lucifer was the bad son and Jesus was the good son, um, which which robs Jesus of his deity. And if you do that, you have not got a God that can save. If you know what you believe and you believe it anyway, then you're accountable to God and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But sadly, they do believe that they'll get their own planet. They do believe um, that uh, they will become gods eventually. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously that's silliness. So, Ray, thanks for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Uh, here is an anonymous question that came in. Um, I recently got saved and I really want to follow Jesus. The problem is that I am gay and don't know if God will change my attraction. Um, Anonymous, God bless you for getting saved and wanting to follow Jesus. This is wonderful. Now, here's the thing you've got to deal with, and you're probably not going to like what I have to say. But but here's where you've got to count on the goodness of God. The, the God who just wiped out your sins. The God who gave you new life. The God who gave you hope for the very first time says, here are some rules. Now, tomorrow night, Anonymous, you can tune in at calvarysa.com. I'm doing a Bible study on human sexuality. And over and over and over, it's Leviticus chapter 18, and throughout the, the chapter, the key is, I am the Lord your God. And if I remember from memory, uh, seven times in that chapter, uh, God makes that statement. He may, he'll make a statement about our sexuality and then say, I am the Lord. And, and what he's saying is there, look, I'm the boss. I'm in charge of these things. And so what you've got to do is understand um, um, that he's the one in charge. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't make you gay. God made you perfect. We live in a fallen world. We're influenced by all kinds of things. Now, here's the part I said that you may not like. God may not change your same-sex attraction. He may not. But if that's the case... He's called you to live a life, a celibate life, that will glorify him. And and don't do guilt over being same-sex attracted. That's the world that we live in. However, by saying no to you, Jesus said to be my disciple, you must pick up your cross every day. A cross is an instrument of execution. And follow me. So what you're going to have to do every day is get up and say, uh, Jesus, today, I'm not going to give in to my flesh. I'm not going to give in to temptation or my desires because I know they're ungodly desires. What I am going to do, Jesus, is get in so close to you that I'm going to follow you no matter what. And and then you're going to learn that his grace is sufficient. You're also going to learn that your life will be rich and full and absent the guilt that comes from giving in to those temptations. And your life is going to have meaning and purpose. Is it a bummer that maybe sexuality is not going to be a part of your life? Of course it is. God made us sexual beings and, and, and he wants us under his terms to enjoy our sexuality. But when you say no to what you want to do so you can get closer to Jesus, imagine, Anonymous, how proud, how pleased he is 
with you. So that's might be your future. Now, it is true that people get saved sometimes and their attractions change. Uh, let me recommend a book. It's about it's it's, it's about a girl, um, but but the principles are great. It's it's uh, Jackie Hill Perry is her name, and it's um, uh, the the title of the book is Gay Girl Good God, and um, she comes out of a, a gay lifestyle, uh, very aggressive gay lifestyle, uh, and she is now married and a mother of I think two children, and um, and and so sometimes who knows. God changes uh, our our orientation, uh, but I think most of the time, anonymous, and we this is where we have to be honest. I think most of the time, uh, people that are attracted sexually to to, to people of the same sex, uh, I think they're going to have to wrestle with that. And what you've got to realize is that God has empowered you to say no to those desires, so that you can say yes to Him. And then it's just a matter of you learning that whatever God has for you is better by far, infinitely better than anything that you might have for yourself. The fact that we might have to live a celibate life, the Apostle Paul lived a celibate life. Now, clearly, Paul was married at one time. Um, He was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, and one of the requirements of being a part of that body was uh, it's the ruling elder, 70 men. Uh, One of the requirements was being married. It is also likely that he had children. And when I say that, having children was was a goal for Jewish families. And, and what it means, apparently, is that uh, his family left him uh, when he converted to Christ. And he said, speaking of his celibacy, I wish all, all of you were as I am. He says, because being single means I can spend more of my time and more of my energy on Jesus Christ and my service for him. And that's what he wants for all of us. So this is where faith comes in. You're going to have to trust him and believe. And if you have to deny that sexual part of your being, then you're doing it in exchange for something that's infinitely better. So I wish I could say God will change the fact that you're still attracted to the same gender of people. Um, but what you need to do is stay close to Jesus. Jesus said, it costs to be his disciple. David said, I will not give that to the Lord, which costs nothing. And anonymous, you're in a position where you can say, well, Jesus, I'm going to give you something that's very, very precious to me, my sexuality, because I'd rather serve you. And if he changes your attraction, you get married, God bless. That's wonderful. But if not, um, just know that his grace is enough. His grace is enough. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. I think i got time for one more question before the break. This was from Derek. Um, this is interesting, Derek. I don't know where you got this idea. Uh, he says, to me personally, do you insist that people call you pastor instead of just using your name? Um, Derek, no. People can pretty much call me anything they want. Um, the one thing I don't like, I, I, I'm, I'm very close with the people here at Calvary Chapel. So I'm not a fan of Pastor Arbaugh. Um, I, I'm not a fan of Sir. I realize people are being respectful. Um, so I tell people, look, call me Pastor, call me Pastor Ron, or just call me Ron. I don't care. So I'm not hung up on titles. They don't have to call me pastor. In fact, I can say this, Derek. I'm uncomfortable when people call me pastor and I'm not really their pastor. They don't come to our church. Um, But no, people can call me uh, anything that they want to call. I just I love them. I want them to know that they're loved by me. And uh, if that's the case, um, then I have no requirements at all. I'd be interested, Derek, if maybe you would... Uh, email me back and and tell me what the genesis of this question really is. Did somebody say I insist on calling? Maybe it's Paula because Paula calls me Pastor Ron about half the time. And when she's here doing the radio program, uh, she calls me Pastor Ron all the time. Um, but but um, no, I, I don't care what people call me at all. So Derek, maybe a little follow-up that would help me to understand the question. 
Okay, what have we got? One minute? Two minutes. Okay, I think I've got time still. Um, well, this is an easy one. Victor says, do you think it's wise to travel to Israel in these troubled times? No, Victor, I don't think it's wise unless God is sending you. Uh, interestingly, uh, uh, last Sunday and this Sunday uh, coming up, I'm, I'm, uh, we're in Acts 21 this Sunday. Uh, Paul is going to go to Jerusalem um, regardless of being warned that trouble, hardships, abuse, imprisonments await him. And everywhere he goes, people are coming out by the power of the Spirit saying, don't go, don't go, please don't go. And he says, look, I got to go. I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm driven by the Spirit. So he's doing it. So the only thing, Victor, I would say to you is if God is sending you there uh, to evangelize, if God is sending you there for a specific mission uh, trip, um, then go. But but if it's just a vacation or just a tour of the Holy Land, then you can do that at a later time when it's much safer. I think most of the people that I know are canceling their trips to Israel uh, until sometime in the future. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the word to stand on for life. 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question anonymously. Um, why does God go back and forth with the names of Jacob, calling him Israel sometimes and Jacob other times? Uh, it's interesting. The name Israel means governed by God. And, of course, the Jacob before Genesis 32, where, where Jesus had to re- wrestle with Jacob, um, uh, he was all Jacob all the time. Now, Jacob, the name means con man or supplanter. Uh, one translation is even heel catcher. Um, um, that was just Jacob's nature. And when God pointed him out as a patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, um, he refers to him as Israel. And then after Jacob's wrestling match with Jesus, um, from that point forward, the, the, the primary references to him are Israel. Now, that's important because when we get to Romans chapter 11, and God says, uh, um, all Israel uh, will be saved. But then he says, all Israel is not really Israel. In other words, uh, just because you're an Israeli doesn't mean you're governed by God. So the all Israel will be saved doesn't mean every Jew will be saved. What it means is that those who are governed by God, those who are appointed for eternal life, those who see Jesus coming back. And the the sad thing, Anonymous, is that um, in in the prophecy of Zechariah, uh, when Jesus returns, we're told that only one third of the Jews who are alive at that time and see him will 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 come to him as Lord of their life. They will be born again at that moment. Uh, where did you get these wounds, Jesus? I got these wounds in the house of my friends, and there will be weeping uh, in Israel as never before. But that means two thirds of the people won't be moved by Jesus returning to destroy his enemies in the air. So um, um, not all Israel is governed by God is the idea. And so that's why he goes back and forth. You know, what else is interesting to me, Anonymous, is that, uh, you know, we all have new names in heaven. And when we get our new names, I wonder if, if in heaven now, sometimes we're called by those new names when we're fulfilling the will of God, and other times we're called just plain old, for me, plain old Ron. Um, because there's times when we're governed by God and, and other times, sadly, when we're not governed by God. So that's the idea. It is just a play on the names. Um, the Jewish names had purpose. They had a meaning. Uh, they often were indicative of the character or the nature of the person. And, of course, Jacob, we know, was a con man. Um, and And then when he wrestled with Jesus and limped, uh, he was a man who was committed and submitted to, uh, to to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So thank you for the question. 
January says, what does it mean to pray the blood over difficult things in your life? Is this something that we should be doing? Um, January, you know, most of the time, this is just sort of charismatic silliness. Uh, We don't have to pray the blood. I've heard other people use the term plead the blood over these situations. The blood has been poured out all over us. It's for us. So to, to, to pray the blood when something is difficult in your life is just a way of somebody saying, well, well, God, just take this away from me, and, and I'm coming to you on the basis of your blood, um, which is really a, a, a pretty bad misunderstanding of the whole idea. One thing January always remembers, you don't have to pray for something that we've been given already by the Lord. If God has promised us deliverance from sin, if God has promised that he would be with us through trials and difficulties, we don't have to plead the blood to get him to be more with us or more uh, close to us when we are, are, um, are, are going through something difficult because he's always there. So whenever you see this, pleading the blood, praying the blood, um, no, it's not something that we ought to be doing. What we ought to be doing instead is believing the promises of God. Believing those promises, um, good times, bad times, but, but on a daily basis. And we believe them by faith. January, just maybe this is the Spirit prompting me to, 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 to encourage you with this. Uh, if it's not, you can dismiss it. But um, I tell our church here all the time, Romans chapter 8 contains such wonderful promises. doesn't matter what you're going through. Romans chapter 8 has such wonderful promises that we can claim by faith. I think God would say, read Romans chapter 8 and believe those promises. And if you believe them, you'll be seeing the end of God move in and through your life. Randy says, um, Pastor, I'm having some issues with my bosses at work and don't know how I should handle them. If I had a union, I could go to them, but what should I do as a believer? Randy, you don't need a union. You've you've got the, the union leader working on your side. So just let Jesus lead you and guide you. Um, um, one of the things that you have to understand, Randy, bosses are bosses, and we're to submit to those bosses. It doesn't matter whether we agree with them. It doesn't matter uh, if we think we could do something better or have a better idea. But they are our bosses, and we are to serve our bosses as unto the Lord. That's very important. Um, in in the New Testament, Paul, on two separate occasions, uh, tells um, the, the, the slaves, and, and slavery was a... A, a real issue in the ancient world. It wasn't a racial issue. It was just an economic issue more than anything else. And he said, slaves obey your masters in everything. And what he was saying was that that'll be a good witness. So, Randy, here's what I would I would ask you to perfectly consider. Um, as a worker, now this is going to offend some people, but as a worker, your only right doing your job is to get a paycheck. We're not entitled to anything else. So I tell the people at Calvary Chapel, be the best employee, be there on time, be there ready to work, have a good attitude, and give your employer everything you've got for the hours that you're being paid. And then you can say, Lord, you can move on their hearts. Lord, you can help me find favor. If God could help Joseph find favor in prison, he can certainly help you find favor in your work. Now, the idea of taking a grievance to a union uh, steward, um, um, don't just go to Jesus with those. Just go to Jesus. Don't stand up for your rights. Just do your job as unto the Lord. The reason I said that is offensive to some people is we're all about our rights. But remember, you and I, Randy, as Christians, we have no rights. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. And if Paul could write that slaves in the ancient world, as a brutal world, that they would obey their masters and everything, how much more when we go to a job and we're working 
um, with, with doing the job, the, the job that we get paid to do. We're not entitled to anything else. And when you're doing that job, when you're understanding that responsibility, you're not, not to your boss, but to the Lord, then the Lord will be in a position to move on your behalf. And I promise you, Randy, you'll see the Lord move. So don't worry about union. Don't worry about your issues. Um, just work. Keep your mouth shut and work. Be the best employee. I tell our church all the time, your bosses ought to be calling me all the time and saying, do you have any more like him or do you have any more like her? Boy, she's the best employee ever. I want more like, and my answer is, of course I do. So be grateful for your job. Do your job. Expect nothing in return except a paycheck. And then the Lord will be able to move on your behalf. That sounds very anti-union, doesn't it? Well, that's just very Christian. Thank you, Randy. appreciate it. Um, Irene says, Pastor Ron, what do you think of Stephen Crowder's ministry? Um, Irene, I don't think anything of it. I don't really know. I, I've not ever watched it. Even when I got the question, I didn't want to watch it. You said that that um, 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 he, he was a, a YouTuber. Um, I, I don't spend much time on YouTube. Um, that he's vulgar. Other than that, I really don't know anything at all about him. But here's what I can say. If he's a Christian, if that is a, a supposedly Christian website, there's no excuse for vulgarity. There's no excuse for being rude or unkind. Um, we are all inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and we are to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. Uh, that's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're to produce those things, and, and anybody, because they've got a platform or because they're popular, who thinks that um, that those rules don't apply to them, uh, they really and truly have a misunderstanding about their role in submission to Jesus Christ. Let me just say, generally speaking, Irene, there's a bunch of ministries, um, they, they call themselves ministries. Um, where where um, it's it's sort of become cool to to curse and use um, what the Bible calls ungodly language, the things that we're supposed to rid ourselves of, and they just think, no, we're just making it real. That's not making it real. All you're doing is is making your sin real, and you're justifying it, not even repenting. And so when people are are, are being vulgar or they're being unkind or they're speaking ill of other people. Um, those are not Christian ministries at all. The people may be Christians, but they're going to have to answer to the Lord. Let me add one other thing about this, because we have a lot of political ministries led by people who claim to be Christians, and they're violating the very New Testament that they claim they believe in. So be careful about who is influencing you, uh, Irene, in, in uh, your surfing the Internet. 340-9585. Um, well, here's another question right behind it, Anonymous. How should we view Christians who use curse words in their messages to be relevant or real? Uh, I just mentioned that. Maybe it was, I, I read the question earlier and it was just in the back of my mind. But but no Christian should use foul language. Offensive language, swearing, cursing, uh, losing your temper, uh, being crude or rude. Um, we just shouldn't um, have those the, 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 those words in our vocabulary. We're, we're supposed to be new creations. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Um, so um, uh, what I would do is pray for those Christians to get right with God because they're not. They're just not right with God. Again, they may be Christians. Uh, their salvation experience may be genuine. But I can tell you they are displeasing to the Lord. And if you know people who are doing that, then what you need to do is confront them in love and just let them know. Christians ought not to speak like that. Um, there are some people that, that you know, justify it all the time. Uh, well, well, you know, I, I just want to I want to meet them where they are or uh, I, 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 I just want to be real. Um, 
they're in violation of the Word of God. So it's pretty simple. Um, hope that makes sense to you. Jeremy says, Pastor Ron, why did people fall over in John 18? And is it correct to use this as an example of being slain in the Spirit? Um, Jeremy, uh, being slain in the Spirit is is just more Christian silliness. Um, there's no such thing. There's no biblical precedent for it. Uh, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And when, when somebody else knocks us down or we're, we're doing crazy things, we are certainly not exercising self-control. In John 18, and I've heard somebody use this, uh, well, well, Jesus, they were slain in the Spirit. Well, two things. Jesus was God. We're not. And these were enemies of God. And they were coming. Uh, who are you looking for? Jesus. And then he said, I am he. And he was giving them I am statements and the force, the supernatural force of those words. That's why they were knocking, being knocked over. Uh, and, 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 you know, Jesus could have just kept doing that over and over and over. But the idea is he let them know this is the power you're fighting against. I'm the one that you're opposing and I have this power over you. But no, that they were enemies of God. And there's no indication biblically or precedent whatsoever for being slain in the Spirit. Let me say very quickly, Jeremy, that um, I, as a very young Christian, I mean, in, in my first six or eight months of, of being saved, uh, Benny Hinn was coming to uh, the Anaheim Convention Center. I worked just a couple of miles from the Anaheim Convention Center at the time. And a friend of mine from work and our wives who wanted to go, I, again, I'm a young Christian. I don't know right from wrong, good doctrine from bad. But um, we went into uh, his crusade. And, of course, uh, I learned a lot of lessons that night. But um, one of them was he started just waving his arms to different parts of the arena. There was probably 20,000 people there. And as he would wave his arms at them, the whole sections would fall over. And he was going all the way around. Now, I was kind of in the middle, so as he started to my left and and, and people were falling over, um, in my own mind, I said, well, I'm going to see if this is real. I'm going to see if this is real. I'm not going to go down. And I kind of um, um, anchored myself between two seats. Um, I was standing up. That's what we were told to do. Um but 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 when when the power hit me, I almost fell down. So I know the power is real. But here's what I know. Some 32 years later, I know it wasn't the power from God. And we just have a tendency to think, well, well, this was a Christian man. I'm in a Christian assembly. I'm a Christian. So anything that happens there must be Christian. That's not a good argument. It makes no sense at all. And and uh, there's a lot of things that happen in churches that aren't from Jesus Christ at all. So uh, I know the power is real, but that's just more charismatic silliness, Jeremy. And it's just not something that we should ever be involved with. Let's go to Scott from Von Army. Scott, our friend, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Thank you. I, I... I didn't catch everything you were saying there because I was uh, in the process of calling what have you, but I just uh, hope that I ain't repeating something I already said. But I be- it was another uh, Calvary Chapel uh, pastor I was listening to, and he was kind of preaching on this. And uh, he says, throughout Scripture, you see where, uh, where people encounter angels and they fall on their face and all of this. He said, uh, only the enemy, the uh, enemies of God fall backwards. Mm-hmm. And think about that when you're looking at all these things that are going on. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was a, a neat perspective on that, and just yeah. and it kind of goes along with what you said. There was power there, but it wasn't the, the power of the Holy Spirit. So. Thank you, Scott. God bless you, man. It's always good to hear from you. Um, you know, just just if Christians would use their brains, it is embarrassing at times. The the tricks and the traps that we fall into uh, just because we don't read our Bibles because well, I mean we, we will see something that makes no sense and and we know in our heart this is just stupid this is silliness but we do it anyway and we do it and then 
pretend that we're participating in something that was godly. There's nothing godly about those uh, charismatic excesses that are going on in churches. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. That's area code 210. Uh, if you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Here is a question from Xavier. He says, I hate myself over my past sinful life. I know I'm forgiven, but cannot forgive myself. How can I deal with this? Now, Xavier, I don't know how long you've been listening to the program, but I always deal with similar questions like this very directly, and I'm going to do it with you again. To know, to be promised by the Word of God that you're forgiven, and then to say, I can't forgive myself, is the height of spiritual arrogance. How in the world could we ever stand before Jesus and say, well, I know you forgave me, but, you know, because I don't feel forgiven or because I've done such horrible things uh, is the height of arrogance. Jesus said that when you are born again, your sins are as far from you as east is from west. In another passage, he says they're thrown into the deepest, darkest ocean. And what I would tell you you need to do is to leave those sins in the deep. Don't go get them. Why, if Jesus buries them in the deepest, darkest ocean, why do we put on scuba gear, metaphorically speaking, and go down and try to dig them up? This is just an enemy, Xavier, who's trying to destroy the work God wants to do in you and through you. I'll challenge you now. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? If you believe it, then why are you condemning yourself? And I think what you need to do, Xavier, is repent. Go before the Lord and tell him, Jesus, I'm so sorry for not accepting this wonderful free gift of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. I can promise you, Xavier, that you probably haven't done anything as bad as some of the things, many of the things that I've done. Romans chapter 3, verse 24, changed my life. We are justified freely. I was reading that one time, and I'd read it dozens of times. This is very, very early in my walk with the Lord. And I, I, I really sort of camped out in the book of Romans as a new believer. And yet one day when I was reading, because I was dealing with some of the same things. I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I hurt Paula. I can't believe that I didn't raise my kids. All those things. And when I got to, for we are justified freely. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. Freely, it costs nothing. And the Lord stopped me in the middle of that verse that particular day. And he said, when did that happen? And I said, on the cross. 2,000 years ago. And he said, well, why then are you still living in the past? And I got to tell you, Xavier, that changed my life. I, I got that. And I want you to get it. The Lord wants you to deal with it. That's how important it is for you. So repent. Tell God... I believe, but my unbelief is at times overwhelming. Please forgive me and increase my faith. That's the only way you can deal with it. Don't let your past influence your present or your future for one more minute of one more day. And I can promise you, Xavier, when you do that, you'll be set free. You'll be set free. You'll understand what it feels like to have that burden lifted from you. And then, of course, the devil's going to come. He's going to try to push those buttons um, again and again and again. But every time he pushes the button, you've got a, again, a figurative off switch. You just hit off. I'm not listening to you, Satan. I'm, I'm going to believe the word of God. So you take those thoughts captive and make them obedient. But for you, Xavier, and I, this is important. That's why I'm emphasizing it. You must repent and confess your unbelief as sin. And then say, Lord, help me with my unbelief. And that's exactly what he wants to do, and it will really change everything in your life. 
Okay, this will be the last question of our program today. It is anonymous. Um, My friend is living with her boyfriend and claims that because marriages change over the years, she's not doing anything wrong. She says she's a believer, but won't change her mind. Well, just tell her, Anonymous, that she's not really a believer. Show her 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 5. People who live like you're living will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then be honest with her and tell her, you just don't want to stop sinning. I get that. That's at least honest. And God can deal with an honest heart. But to pretend that I'm a believer when I'm living a lifestyle that is in willful rebellion against the one I claim to believe in, that very thing points us out as an unbeliever. First John says, if anyone continues to sin, the truth is not in them. They are a liar if they profess faith in Jesus Christ. And so just show her. And, and then wash your hands of it. If she continues to live in sin, as a professing believer, you've got to do separate her, separate you from that friendship. Hey, we're done for the day. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh, Lord willing. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.